Hello and welcome back to Tank Nuts. My guest today is the head of Heritage Restorations in the Eden Camp Modern History Museum in North Yorkshire. It's Mr. Frank Wood. Hi Frank, thank you so much for joining us. First of all, kicking us off, for those of you that are just listening in, Frank is in a perfect scenario at the moment. Just uh, You're obviously sat in a hangar. What's the engine behind you? Yeah, so I'm sat in what we call the tank bank. Um, and the tank bank is our big workshop where we, we undertake armour repair. Um, You've got to be careful engine... what you say there when you say tank bank. <laughs> you you? Do, it's probably why we call it the tank bank, Richard. Well done, me. <laughs> um, and basically, yeah, I'm sat in front of the, the VT8460. Um, and that's basically an Israeli mod for a, a Sherman engine. Um, kind of 1960s onwards, really. 1970s, probably proper. Wow. Um, and we're, we're actually having problems with ours at the minute, which is why it's behind me and not in a tank. <laughs> I was going to say, it looks uh, it's not in pieces from what we can see, but... Um... No, so we, we've... We are a heritage restoration. That's kind of what our, our name suggests, as you would imagine. Um, and basically what we're trying to do is we try to restore the original bits... Um, that goes for engines, even to nuts and bolts, that's the kind of level we take it to. We try and keep everything the same. Um, for instance, the nuts and bolts in our Sherman have Israeli head stamps, and you can't get that anywhere else, really. We can make them, but that seems stuff. So we very, very carefully, we don't cut anything if we can help it. And um, the engine behind me suffered terribly over in Lebanon, we think, um, from the cold, which doesn't sound right, does it? Because it's kind of the Middle East and not quite warm and not very snowy, you would think. Um, but basically, it's, we've ended up with a cracked block. Um, it's well, an, an unconventional V, and so the water jacket's on the outside. We've ended up with a split block, um, which lots of military guys who've ever restored anything old will know. It's, it's quite a common thing to happen, except for an hour's, you could put your fist through it, <laughs> which probably wasn't, <laughs> probably wasn't the best. And, and basically, we, we fixed it a year and a half ago. Um, and we stitched it and we cold stitched it and we brazed it basically and, and it was all good we put it in the tank we've had the tank running um, last week we pulled the Churchill crocodile off the front of our site with our Sherman so the engine runs and is powerful and works and wasn't leaking um, and unfortunately the crack has started to open up we think with the vibration um, from the tank and it's running uh, because it's straight onto the chassis. It's, it's not got any dampeners or anything like that. And we think basically the, the vibration has started to open up the crack. So we've got a weep. Um, and although it's not a terminal thing and not a massive problem, it is an issue. I mean, we don't want to put our name to something and take it anywhere and it'd be dripping water everywhere. That's not what we're about. We want to do it right. <laughs> um, and so we've taken it back out and we're going to try and cold stitch it again to see if we think it's repairable. Um, and that's where we're at. So it's, it's quite a major operation for us, like... You know, it's done as good. It's good practice. We're a bit like an F1 team with this engine now. We can rip it in and out oh, in about fantastic. an hour and a half. <laughs> well, Frank, I mean, I started on Chieftain, so as you can imagine, I think it was uh, probably a Sherman was more reliable than the Chieftain. Yeah, I would think so. Well, you could start a Sherman more than once, couldn't you? <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, Frank, so uh, I mentioned to you before we started, I've never actually visited the Eden Camp um, Museum. So could you give us a, like, a little bit of a background, describe it a bit for the audience? Yeah, by all means. So, so Eden Camp's a, a fairly rare beast. Um, Eden Camp in 1942 was a prison. And we housed Italian and German prisoners of war that were captured in North Africa. Um, and, and basically, we had a thousand inmates. Those buildings survived all the way till 1986. And in 1986, a fellow called Stan Johnson um, basically decided to make a museum. And um, in those buildings that I've just spoken about, how is our museum? 
and, and basically we try and transport you back in time and we try and use the sights, the sounds and the smells from World War II, um, even all the way up to the Gulf now, in fact, um, to, to kind of give you a, a bit of a sensory learning experience. Well, that sounds fantastic. I always remember when, um, I, I imagine then, I mean, most of your audience, you get a lot of school trips. Um, yeah, so absolutely. School, school trips are kind of our bread and butter. It's what Eden Camp was built for. Stan, Stan was very clear that he wanted it to be um, affordable for schools, which back in the 80s wasn't so much as a big deal as it mm. is today. Um, but yeah, we, we kind of make sure that we cater to schools in, in a big, big way. Um, we, are, we do work on different levels. We have kind of primary level learning, but we can actually... If you come and talk to me about tanks, I hope I can, I hope I can give you a, a higher learning as well. So we do have experts on site that will be happy to speak to you. Well, that's so fantastic. On levels. I always remember. I don't recall ever in my school days going to somewhere as interesting as that. It always um, no, <laughs> was so, something so pretty if, dull. If you're a bit of a Facebook guy like me and you, you'll, you'll know that um, there's Yorkshire Live and that kind of Yorkshire sayings etc and one of them my proudest moment or one of them was one of it came up one night and it said you're not proper Yorkshire unless you've been to Eden Camp when you're at school (laughs) (laughs) and that's the truth we we do absolutely have a a large catchment area in the Yorkshire region yeah that's fantastic um so Frank you yourself how did you get into this you're now head of heritage restorations (laughs) I suppose the question is what does that involve I mean what is it you actually do there so right so basically I've worked at Eden Camp for a very long time um, I'm nearly into my 24th year uh, here. Wow. I started as a 15-year-old washer-upper, and the way I got my job was quite, quite an interesting story. Basically, what we did was I came as a... I was a... I won't say a naughty lad, but we used to play <laughs> down in the woods at the back yeah. of Eden Camp, <laughs> and the owner, Stan, who I was just telling you about, caught us one day and said, Oi! And he was quite rude, and he said a nasty word to us, and he said, Do you want a fucking job? And I said, Aye, all right, then, yeah, that'd be good. And, and he said, come on Saturday. So I came on Saturday and he put me to wash up in the kitchen. And the week after, in 1998, there was a terrible, terrible storm up in, in Malton. <laughs> and we've got a hurricane uh, fighter, pilot, uh, fighter plane on a pole at the front of site. And basically it blew down. Uh, there's no other way of putting it. It, it came adrift and ended up near on, on a road. And basically the museum had to buy a new one. And, and back when I was 15, I was about four foot six about six stone I was a snip of a lad and like I said we were always out playing we were 80s lads and we always were outdoors biking and stuff and so I was fairly skinny and I was the only one on site small enough to fit down the wings of a new hurricane to go and bolt them on and get back out and so they said do you want to come and do it and I said yeah all right that'll be great and and uh, that's what I did so I did that for two weeks and then after that they said do you want a job and I said aye all right then so <laughs> 24 years later uh, having been not the boss I'm I've now kind of moved my way up and we've started the new restoration program, which I've been lucky enough to to kind of get myself in a position where I can have a go, basically. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's an honour, really, more than anything. And, and basically what we do is we have lots of vehicles on site and we are basically going through them and restoring them. We've, we've just done the half track. We're in the middle of the tank. Um, we've done motorbikes, we've done jeeps, we've done tractors, we've done ferrets, we've done fox prototypes, we've done all sorts basically, there's too much a list. Um, and we, we've just basically carried on with it and that's, that's what we're doing and, and that's where we're going with it. So the next one on the list is a crocodile, the Churchill, so we'll, well see how we come on. fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So you're sort of like self-taught on the job then, really? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, I, 
I'm, I'm not a mechanic by any stretch of a mean of a word. Um, I'm very lucky that in Yorkshire we have, and, and in Northern England it has to be said, we have a very, very big kind of industrial and kind of construction or engineering type background um, with lots of people around us. And we've basically, between family, friends and strangers and anyone else who listen, we've ended up with a, a, such a broad range of skills that we've been able to overcome any issues we've ever had. Um, and we've also got a team of volunteers. We, we, we've opened up our site to volunteering in two years ago. And the volunteers that come, a bit like you, I suppose, are ex-serving, you know. And if you get someone that served on a ferret or a CVRT, and you've got to change, I don't know, let's say a throttle cable or something daft, just knowing where it's rooted, knowing how to get there, knowing where it goes, it, it saves hours. And the whole point is we all learn together and that's that's part of it as well we, we're very much about learning together as a team and it's, it's brilliant when you say i mean volunteers a, a lot of the you know the larger museums bombington prime example they you know rely quite a lot on their volunteers but you're right for for ex-service personnel i mean it's funny i've never thought i'd get to the stage where i actually thought i was offered the other day actually to go and do some you know help out on a chieftain uh, restoration and I thought, do you know what, I, I, I was really looking forward to it, and I will go up. Uh, but I thought I'd never be in this position after, you know, being in the army for 30 years, where I thought I'd actually quite like to get back on these vehicles. Yeah. Must be getting old yeah. or something. So we, we've literally um, just finished filming for Channel 5, and part of that was about our volunteer programme and, and how the guys come to help us. And they all had to do with something similar to what we're doing now, which is a little bit of an interview and listening to them and what they said, you, you realise that actually probably the volunteering is as important to them for the activity and the memories as it is for us for the help they give us. Um, it's definitely a two-way street. It's definitely a mutual kind of relationship. And I can imagine if you get a load of veterans together, I mean, you know, it's a lot of it is, you know, the, the mental health side of it as well. So it's great yes. to, you know, yeah, back absolutely. with people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. comradeship and, and brotherhood. And, and basically, we've, we've, we've got that. It's quite funny. Everyone comes to us as an individual, uh, basically. We've only got kind of two husband and wife teams that come, but mainly people come on their own. Um, and now we've kind of got little groups. <laughs> we have the CVRT teams, the Muppet team. It, it goes on. The you Muppet, know. Who's the Muppet team? No, the Muppet <laughs> team are, are fantastic. Uh, there's a fella called Dave. He won't mind me telling you this, I don't suppose. He's kind of six foot, I don't know, six foot four. He's massive. He's 72 years old, um, but he's oh, ginormous. <laughs> and we've got Paul, who's not six foot four. He's kind of five foot eight. Um, and basically, they're a nightmare. They've got army humour. They absolutely, <laughs> I think the word's banter, isn't it? They call it now, it's a fashionable way, but they're naughty, is, is how I used to describe them. Um, and basically, they, they sound a little bit a bit like the, uh, the two Muppets, the Stadler and Waldorf, because um, they're always bloody moaning <laughs> about being out in the cold or doing this or... Uh, the throttle cable's a good example of oh, bloody throttle cables. When the cat, bloody British Army do any better and all the rest, it goes on like that. Um, and basically, they've, they've coined themselves the Muppets and, and they've bought T-shirts with Stadler and Waldorf on. Oh, that's fantastic. And go around <laughs> together and they come every time together. So they've, they've been uh, made a very strong bond, a very good friendship out of it as well, which for me is kind of the best bit we could do, really. You know, it's, it's, that's a great, satisfying part of my job. Do you, do you have a favourite in the collection? Uh, a favourite vehicle? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Please, please say something armour-wise, but you're not going yeah, to, are you? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, of course, the M50 is always going to be my baby. It's the first big bit I kind of got let loose on. 
Um, and I've really, really enjoyed doing the history of it. Um, I, I've always liked motors and engines and spanners, but I'm not a mechanic, as I've said. Um, but I've always been interested in history. And our tank is so unique. Because it's been sat at Eden Camp outside as a gate guardian for kind of 30 years, no one's ever ground any bits off it. It's completely as it was as it came out of Lebanon. And learning with the help of people, we've, we've li I can literally tell you the story from when it was built in November 1942, pretty much all the way to May 1982, when it got, 1989 I should say, uh, when it got transported over from Israel, um, all the way over to Ghoul. In, and it went to a budge collection in, in Retford. Uh, and basically, it, it, the way we found that out was on our side of our tank when it arrived, it was, it was marked DB5. And for years, I thought this was a blooming military marking, um, as you do, don't you? Because who would write on a tank? Of course it's the army. Yeah. Who else could it be? And DB5 always bugged me because it means nothing. And you'll know it means nothing. <laughs> but to me, I didn't know. And, and basically, I was, for years, I tried to work this blooming thing out. And it turns out DB was someone's name. It was Doobie. <laughs> Doobie was the Israeli agent that bought the tanks on behalf of the budget collection over in Lebanon. Um, and they, he transported them over. And DB5 was the, the number assigned to our tank on board the cargo boat. So it came over in a boat full of probably, there was four other M50, uh, four other Sherman, I should say, not M50. Um, and various other kind of armor bits. And, and basically, ours was number five. So DB5 is DB5. Um, so DB owes me a pint. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Because um, it, was, it was a fair odd thing. But we do something called scar reading, um, which is something that we, we basically, we need to tell people. We need to get people talking. That's our job as educators, if we can be. And we, we walk people around. We let them in the tank and to walk around it to kind of, talk about it and, and scarring is where we look at the lumps and bumps of different welding techniques uh, the remains of kind of holes that have been filled in where old engines might have been um, even ground off number plates that you can see if you look hard and you know what you're looking for you can see registration plates um, and basically we we do that as a scar read and we, we we let people come around and, and do that we do a kind of a 40 minute presentation Oh, I have to say, because for me, it's, um, you know, being involved with tanks most of my life, to be perfectly honest, it's, yeah, of course, I appreciate, love the history as far as, you know, the mechanical side of it. But what really fascinates me, I think, as a former tank crewman is, you know, the story behind the people that served in them. That's what for me. So when you can, when I see a vehicle, it just means so much more to me. If you can tell me, well, this, you know, served here and served there. And this is, you know, even to the extent sometimes they can say, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to meet some veterans and the vehicles that they served on. It's just unbelievable, you know, the stories and what they went through and, yeah, it's, I think like I mean, anything else, yeah. They are the best bits, and I completely agree with you. I think making it personal. Um, it's, it's nice to see a tank, and I completely understand what you mean. It's, you know, it's great, isn't it? But that little bit of story, that, that idea of who sat in this seat is, is really Yeah, bring, it brings it to life so much. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and, and we've just done that. We're right, I'm right in the middle of that. It's funny you should say it. That is, so, so this year, of course, is the Falklands 40th anniversary. Um, and we have rescued three of the CVRT that were over there. It was only eight cent um, and nine if you include the Samson. And we've rescued three of them out of the scrapyard, basically. Um, and we've, we're gonna, re we're kind of, we've done one, we're halfway through a second and we've just started the third one, really. Um, they'll be ready for the anniversary, but I'm lucky, because the Sherman's difficult because 
Um, there's no crew left in the nicest way of saying that. I don't know how of else course, to put yeah. that. There's no one to speak to about it, really. Certainly not from that tank. The Israelis don't really want to play ball with that idea of speaking to me. Um, but the Falklands guys are still there. And they can tell you. And I was speaking to the guy that was sat in 23C, which is one of our scimitars. And, and he was the first one <laughs> to take down an Argentinian Mirage with a 30mm Raiden. And you think, blooming heck. Wow. <laughs> and and you know, I have and to say, you know, it's one of those conflicts as well where it's sort of like it's been lost in the annals of time. I mean, everybody, we always refer to World War II. I mean, obviously, predominantly. But there's a lot of other conflicts that we completely forget about. Um, uh, and unsung conflicts. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. The Falklands yeah, the fo- for me was, you know, I was in basic training when the Falklands kicked off. So there was this sort of like rumour for us that we we're going to go straight to the units and be deployed and all this sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no, so that's absolutely fantastic. And it must be great for him as well. I mean, what an incredible thing for him to think. Good I hope so, yeah. They don't know this yet, but I'm about to ring them later on today to ask if they want to basically do video interviews for us so that we can keep their story and play it for people um, and, and include them. You know, Eden Camp is very, very veteran-focused. It is something that's been important to us from day one, really. Um, we actually hold the largest gathering of, of veterans in the north um, in our parade day. Uh, and basically, yes, as you've said and as I've said, the World War II thing is kind of a glory, isn't it? It's what everyone knows, what everyone mm. talks about. World of Tanks is kind of, was that kind Period, of talk, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, Fury, of course, the tank museum's famous for kind of World War II armour. Um, but we, we, we have had veterans from them and we've celebrated them and we should always celebrate the memory, of course. Um, but we also have veterans from much more recent times and much more recent conflicts who don't get the same uh, pomp and ceremony, perhaps, as they should do, I don't think. Um, and that's something that I, I would like to kind of alter if I could. And so that we do celebrate the memories of what happened. And it doesn't matter if it was 40 years ago or 80 years ago, mm. it was still years ago. And people should really be talking about it. And as I've said, really, it's our job to get people talking about this sort of thing. And, and I'm hoping that with a moving vehicle like the CVRT, um, that that that's kind of leads someone to ask the question where, who, where, and why, you know, and, and that's really what we're trying to achieve. Um, when you talk about you know the restoration side of things, uh, I mean we've been involved in a few sort of restoration you know, projects over the years. But if is there when you get to a stage where you're, you're lacking a part or something, or even the know-how, where do you go from there? So you're yeah. putting together something, you just cannot get it. I mean, can you actually make this stuff yourself nowadays, or is there some things you just think, no, impossible? So I'll, I'll use the M50 as, um, as an example. The Cummins behind me, the way you demilitarise the M50 to send it across from Israel to Gaul is basically you cut the primary output shaft, um, and you take that, all that driving power out that oh, engine. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it basically a guy got out of a gas axe and took a gas axe to the engine. Um, and so you lose the primary output tra- uh, shaft. I was lucky enough to find one under a bench in Southampton and that someone had a cut one that they'd taken out. We, ours was completely gone, but someone had a cut one from a different, M- uh, different VTA. And we, we basically took that, reverse engineered it from the original light clutch uh, diagrams that we found uh, by getting in touch with light over in America, and, and we reverse engineered a primary output shaft. Um, and so that's how our tank is driving about with something we've made. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely have the engineering capabilities and will, basically, to kind of search out what needs to be done. Um, in, in the quest for spare parts, and the spare parts for the, <laughs> the reason we started with Sherman first, as I said, it, uh, it was the first one I was let loose on. 
the reason we started this one is because we thought, oh, it's a Sherman. There'll be loads of bits. <laughs> like you do, don't you? Like a naive lad. <laughs> and no, the VT8 is a very, very rare engine. Um, there was only kind of 400 of them ever sent over to Israel and probably even less than that by the time it was done. There wasn't very many about. And in the quest for spare parts, I actually bumped into the guy that developed the VT8 460 back in oh, 1952. Wow. And he lives over in America. Um, he's become a very good friend of mine now. And, and basically, in his garage, <laughs> he had all the, all the plans and all the updates and all the rest of it, all the part numbers, and said, oh, you can have them if you want, lads. You, well, we don't need them. Wow. So I was like, I'd like them. And so basically, we can now rebuild engines as and when because we've got the bits, essentially. Um, and, and, and I mean, it's also... It. That's, oh, yeah, that's incredible. But you also found, I mean, certainly I've, I've noticed dramatically over the last, well, probably a decade or so, that the value and, you know, the collectors out there have just grown massively to what I remember. Um, yeah. You know, we're actually, I can't say too much at the moment, but, you know, a T34 at the moment seems to be an incredibly hard thing to get hold of as far I as I can sell you one if you want one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've got ours in bits. Ours is literally in bits at the moment. <laughs> Um, but it does seem to be, doesn't it? People really understand, I think, that even the monetary value of some of these things nowadays. Absolutely, um, what yeah. What so I was speaking to another collector maybe three or four weeks ago before Christmas, and we were having exactly the same conversation, but Armour has probably done, as an investment, if you look at it in a business way, as an investment, Armour has probably gone up kind of 17 or 18% during lockdown and COVID. Everyone, the prices, like you said, have gone sky high. Um, we don't, I don't quite know why that is, or whether or not people just don't want money in the bank or what, really. But however it was worked, uh, yeah, it certainly happened, and there is definitely a value. Um, and, and basically, that makes my life very difficult because I've got an M50. It's probably the only M50 in the UK. I think there's only kind of three of them left in the world. Where do we start to look at value for that? There's an insurance, or even if we wanted to sell it, we've got to know what it's worth, haven't we? Because we've got to know what we need to spend. You know, the CVRT are the same. Yeah, we've got three standard CVRT. We've got a Scorpion and two Scimitars. But they're Falkland survivors. What, does, does the history add a value? Um, it's a very interesting conversation and, and really one that I don't think I have an answer for, certainly as a new kid. No, no. I, have I mean, I suppose at the extreme of the scale, you look at, you know, Bobbington and obviously Tiger 131, which you know, yeah. I, I would not even hasten to add, put a value on that or something. But no. what's your personal feeling then about, I mean, your vehicles, so the M50 is a runner, I assume. Will be a runner when you get that back in it. Yeah, the M50 um, is fully working, really. I mean, really, we didn't need to take this out. We've done it because we're closed, because we've got the time, because we don't need to move it for an audience. Um, and we want to make sure we can do it. I mean, the water leak is a leak, but it's not its not a terminal leak in, in any by stretch, any other word. Um, we do want to make sure we do it properly, but, but really we could have left it if we were so inclined. Um, it made no difference to the running. We just want to fix it properly. So yeah, it's, who knows? <laughs> What's your what's your opinion then? Because I I love this question for everybody who's involved in it of running or not running. So um, you know, do you think? And again, I use Tiger One Three One perhaps as the example. They run it what twice a year now, Tiger Day. That that's it. But of course, they're very aware that at some stage in its life, it's going to come to the stage where there's some you know absolutely critical malfunction, and it could be you know let's face it beyond the the scope of economical repair. Are, are you a museum that likes to run the vehicles or? So, it's, it's a, so I'll answer the little question, the little side of that question first. Yes, we like to repair and run. 
Um, we don't ever intend to kind of run them into the ground. We move ours kind of when we need to. We want to let people hear them. We're doing the sights, the sounds, and the smells of World War II and beyond. Yeah. That's our blurb. That's how, and again, it's how we engage our audience and speak to them about it. Um, so yeah, we, we prefer to have running, but we do have static um, and they are conserved rather than restored. And I think there's probably a different kind of different aspect to both of those depending on what side of the fence you sit on um the bigger question and and one i've asked a couple of people which i'm going to ask you now (laughs) so we're gonna i'm gonna turn the roles around i'm gonna ask you (laughs) okay fair enough yeah Um, basically so our our tank was born in 1942 it was born with the a35 multibank you know that wonderful big engine after the war, it ended up in French hands. It sold to France, and they didn't like the multibank. They put the radial in, the Conti radial. The Israelis didn't like the Conti radial, so they put the Cummins in. So, if my VT8 behind me is terminal and it doesn't bre- it doesn't work and it's broken, every other user has put in a new power bank to fit with the standard of the day. Should I then therefore be putting something standard in that fits today's purpose? Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about an electric motor. Um, oh my goodness, well, there. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. But, you know, it's, that is, I'm running a 15 and a half litre diesel for fun, really. And knowing about climate change and our responsibility that everyone has, it's an, it's an interesting thought, isn't it? Is should we? <laughs> Who decides? Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, the, the trouble is, I mean, I am. I, Sort of just go back a step to what you said. I don't think, especially when we're talking about tanks and you know armor and everything else, there is nothing that comes close to hearing a vehicle, smelling the vehicle, seeing it move. I don't think any amount of static displays. They've got their place, of course, but for to keep it people aware of the educational type of it. Let's face it, you know there is nothing like seeing a tank. You know the tracks moving, the roar of the engine. Blah, it blah, evokes blah. the senses, doesn't it? Absolutely, one hundred percent. As far as the, I mean, and obviously for our audience, there's. there's is, you know, everybody would sit on the fence. Um, you know, do we want, you know, we, there is a difference between, you know, I don't know, a Maybach engine and not a Maybach engine. You can clearly hear the difference on that. But if the difference means that you're not going to see a, that particular vehicle even moving anymore, it's, I mean, you would get the perfectionists that say, well, no, it should be, you know, when you restore a vehicle, it should be everything. It should be the same way that it's done. Um, you know, prime example I use, I once visited Ken Wheatcroft. Um, and they were in the process of restoring, I think it was two uh, Maybach engines for Tiger, um, to the extent that they were actually, they had all the blueprints and everything, and they were making, as far as you can, obviously, in this day and age, um, exactly the same construction and configuration and everything, because it was back in the day. And obviously, I mean, not just the monetary side of it, but the time side of it was was massive. So, yeah, I mean, I love the idea of your electric tank. I think you'd probably sell it to the uh, the British Army and make a small <laughs> fortune there, to be honest, Frank. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's a it's a really tricky. It's question. an interesting right, question, like, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at like the end say, of the day, I mean, we are custodians, aren't we? We're not. Yeah. Out, we're only. It'll all out, this tank will outlast me ten times over. I hope. You know who who decides where and what is right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a big exactly, responsibility. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. But I'm I'm totally for it. I mean, I support you one hundred percent. In and you're right with that one. I mean, let's face it. It's had so many engines in over its lifetime that. You know, who's yeah. going to know? Who's no. going to know? Is it even an M4A4? <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And why is it bright yellow, Frank? Just so to, uh, the, the Cummins, basically, that's called Cummins Old Gold. Um, and they were civilian engines over in the States who were sometimes put in fire engines and a couple of amphibious vehicles for the military army. They were very, very unsuccessful. Um, they were terrible. They are 
not good. Put yourself in America's kind of uh, position back in the 60s. You wouldn't be giving the Israelis the best thing you had, would you? Basically, is, is the, the long and the short of it. And so it's a civilian engine. And that is basically called Cummins Old Gold. And it comes out of factory out colour. And that's the colour it should be. All right, just I've never seen a power pack with you know that colour before. That's yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it is... It's the colour that Cummins sent them. It's, it's a Cummins colour. Um, and basically, that's that's how they painted them, you know. And inside the tank, it doesn't really matter because you can't see it. It's all covered by armour. You only really see the top of the head. There's not much you can see, really. Um, and um, so, uh, future plans for the museum, Frank. Um, if you were, if money was no object, um, w- would there be a particular vehicle you would love to get up there? There is. There's a couple. Um, <laughs> So basically, I, I, I was telling you a moment ago about how I was keen to start talking about uh, m- more recent conflicts. So we've, we've got a couple of World War II type things. We've got some Cold War era stuff, um, and we've got the Falklands kind of CVRT. Um, but my M50, my big tank, kind of stopped killing people in 1982. <laughs> it sounds terrible. It's very recent when you think about it. But I would like to show everybody what they were against or what had been developed by that time so i'm looking for something kind of modern yeah, modern to me anyway maybe not modern to everyone else <laughs> but yeah ascent would be lovely i think that's kind of wow. ascent were kind of contemporary to the m50 over in israel um they were used there and thereabouts but it would be nice to show an opponent perhaps of course <clears throat> excuse me the chieftain you know that's that's for one after but but of course your namesake is probably the one which i think would be a really good addition to our museum, even though it's blooming massive. <laughs> um, the alley would be a lovely, lovely way of showing people how armour was developed and how, basically, the tank has come on into into a different role. And, and, and really now we're talking about MBTs, aren't we? You know, because the Sherman's, yeah, of course, yeah. it is an infantry tank and, and was designed to have men with it and, and really not anymore. That's not supposed to happen, is it? So I would like, to, I would like a, a storyline of, of development if I could. Well, that's fantastic. Well, let's face it, with Challenger 3 on the horizon, there, um, there should be a, a, a glut of Challenger 2s on the market at some point, yeah, you'd imagine. Yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let you know, because perhaps we, we do work quite closely with the Tank Museum, <clears throat> and we're hoping to perhaps display some of our stuff down there, and perhaps they can display some of their stuff here. So I'll just twist around. You never know, I might be one knocking about, mightn't there? <laughs> and what are the fu- is there any future plans for the museum, Frank? Any, Absolutely, yeah. We, we've got... A cra- 2022 was a crazy year. Um, as I spoke about for the museum, uh, Eden Camp was built in 1942, ergo it's our 80th birthday. Um, so we're going to go and have a big bash, basically. And, and all through April, we'll be doing uh, different events and visit a big, uh, basically a dinner dance in, on the 16th. And Brilliant. we're going to, it's an open invitation. Basically, you just buy a ticket and you turn up and, and we'll be moving tanks and fireworks, all that sort of good party stuff that we've not been able to do all of last year. How did you, I mean, just very briefly touching on it, how have you, I mean, uh, obviously I, d- I deal with quite a lot of museums and that. the last couple of years have been dreadful for, let's face it, everybody. Um, the first year of it was terrifying. <laughs> um, as site manager, which is my other role at Eden Camp, obviously I'm head of restorations, but I'm also the site manager. Um, the the first year was, was terrifying. No one knew if they were coming or going or what was happening. Sometimes we weren't even really that clear what the rules were um, to have people here with us. And then, of course, the appetite for visiting places had declined severely. Um, but the second time round, or I should say the second lockdown, however you want to put it, yeah. um, we were ready. <laughs> we'd altered site, we'd made one-way systems, we'd made 
distancing measures. We'd basically done pre-book tickets, which is something Eden Camp had never done before, was a pre-booking system. Um, and it worked. It really worked for us. We've kept them, <laughs> and we intend to keep them from now on. Um, the pre-booking thing is fantastic. We know how many people are going to be here on a daily. It's fan- we can tailor staff and displays to that. Um, it all works. And I have to say that I know there's been reports of people, certainly today, neglecting and not taking any notice of the rules when they might should have been. <laughs> um, but we, all through the summer holidays, we had nothing but brilliant, brilliant visitors on site. Everybody that came here was courteous and kind and respectful of everybody. Oh, and we had not one incident the whole way through. And to the point where actually we, 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 we couldn't have done it without... Everyone that came to us wanted to be here for the right reasons. And, and basically we were able to, to manage that. And, and we actually probably ended up doing a little bit more than we would do. I mean, we, we ended up putting people through the Sherman tank... Um, and letting them go out the escape hatch and stuff. <laughs> you know, we, we, we did some hands-on stuff, which we didn't think we would be able to do. Um, but the hands-on stuff worked, certainly, and that's because of the cooperation of our visitors who made it possible to make sure everyone was safe while we were doing that. And we couldn't have asked for better, really. And uh, you're close at the moment, though, aren't you, to April? That's right. We are close to the 1st of April to the general public. Um, we are opening to our educational groups. Um, we've tried to separate people a little bit from big groups, um, but we are open to education on the 1st of March and, and the general public on the 1st of April. And we're currently... <laughs> you could probably, I don't know if this is on video, but you'll see my scared face. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, surely we are currently, it must be a joy, especially with uh, school groups. I mean, uh, I remember yeah, what I no, like good. school it's, trips. It's just it's very, very soon. I've currently got Eden <laughs> Camp in, in like a thousand pieces. Uh, we are undergoing possibly the biggest redevelopment we've ever, ever undertaken. We've built a brand new event and exhibition hall, which is it's called the Tank Hall. We're really good with names. It's either a tank bank or a tank hall, basically. <laughs> um, and that's where we're going to do uh, educational workshops. We're going to do some hands-on activities with kids. Uh, last year, we had kids track bashing and working as good a team. Good Lord. And it, it went down a storm. Everyone loves that interactivity um, to understand how it works and even just feel the weight of stuff. Um, we also were letting people have a sit in the Falkland CVRT and all that sort of stuff. So we're going to be doing that, but we're going to do it inside this time. Um, or maybe outside, depending on my weather, of course. It is North Let's Yorkshire, hope. though. Yeah, it's, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we're in the cloud, we'll be all right. <laughs> um, Excuse me. And yeah, so that's what we're doing at that end. And at the front of site, we're, we're basically, we've got like what we call our shop window. Um, and basically, we're taking everything off there and relaying everything and making everything a little bit more tidy but to what's the old saying you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs (laughs) and there's loads of broken eggs (laughs) (laughs) frank thank you so much um sort of running out of time here um just a quick shout out to you all the staff everybody at eden camp uh, for what you do uh, for everybody for the educational side for the veterans um thank you so much for keeping the whole story alive wish you the best of luck um we're lads Obviously, links to, you know, social media channel, everything else onto this as well. So if anybody wants to visit you up there, uh, north of the Watford Gap, <laughs> and have a cup I'm of I'm hoping York you tea. might. <laughs> I said, I've got to get up there. Um, I did feel quite bad when he came on. I thought, oh, do you know what? I've never actually been to Eden Camp. So, um, yeah, it'd be absolutely fantastic. So thank you again, Frank, for, for giving us a bit of an insight and obviously taking some time out from your busy schedule at the moment. No problem. <laughs> it's quite uh, nice to escape. <laughs> 
And for everybody else, thank you very much for listening and joining us. Please subscribe, leave us a review, and until next time, take care.